Well, good morning, everybody. Hello. Thank you. It's good morning. It's nice to see all of you. My name is David. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at Highway. It's great to see all of you today. And I want to start by asking you a question. I want to start by asking you to think of a time of transition. When you move to the next phase or the next stage or the next level of something, those moments of transition between one season and the next, and whether it's moving from one school to another or changing a life stage, maybe a significant birthday, asterisk, today is Jake's birthday. We can say happy birthday to him. Maybe it's a significant birthday, like Jake's, uh, or a relocation, or maybe it's a role change in the office. Think of a time that you transitioned to something new. And now, soft science's question, how did you feel? What was going through your mind? What was happening in your heart? What was happening in your body even in that moment? Well, I've had a few of those moments so far in my life, and I'll quickly share one of them with you this morning. When Brittany and I got married, we were a young 23 uh, and we got married by the leader of the campus ministry that we were a part of. And this person was so great. Uh, but they could tend to want to use all the words. Uh, and we'd just been to a friend's wedding, and the ceremony was an hour and a half long, uh, which is another story in and of itself. But it created some sense of urgency within us to make this request about the ceremony. Lynn, we love you. We are so grateful that you are doing our wedding. But if you could you, keep it to 20 to 30 minutes, you know, that would keep with the, like, the tone and the flow that we're hoping for. And that went over well, received really well and really graciously. Well, when the day came, there we were up on the stage at our home church in front of friends and family. And in that moment of transition, I remember feeling a couple things. I remember feeling overwhelmed with gratitude. I remember feeling hungry. I remember feeling like a nervous anticipation, ready but not quite sure. I was prepared that this moment that I had been waiting for for so long was finally here. And then a funny thing happened. That moment seemed to not want to go but still here. And then it was still, still here. It seemed to not quite realize that the sun was setting on its day in the sun. See, things were tracking pretty well in the ceremony. There were three points in the Bible reminders to David and Brittany's section, which seems reasonable. Uh, but point number three, point number three had like eight subpoints. And Brittany was showing our wedding video to Aria a while back, and the videographer who was behind the stage to get the facial reaction shots certainly got some facial reaction shots, which is a good reminder for me that I do not hide my feelings as well as I think that I do. <laughs> there was a moment of transition, of moving to a new thing. It didn't go the way that I thought that it was going to go. Now, the ceremony not being married to Brittany, which is awesome and wonderful. Just want to make that clear. And there's this moment in the scriptures, another moment of transition that's recorded in the first chapter of the book of Acts. Jesus had been crucified, something 
that his disciples didn't see coming. And then he comes back to life, something the disciples didn't see coming either. Are you catching the theme? And for 40 days, he makes startling appearances, which I think he probably had a good time with. Nothing quite like your death to give you the element of surprise when you suddenly show up. Uh, he spends time with his disciples, convincing and reconvincing them that it's actually him and continuing to teach them about his kingdom. And the disciples are like, oh man, this is awesome. We've got this. We've got a king who's bringing a kingdom. And if you kill him to stop him, it won't even work. Jesus, this is it. Is this when your kingdom is finally going to take over and make everything right again? Tell us what's the plan. And Jesus looks at them and says, you're the plan. And he invites those gathered there to bring the good news of his kingdom to the world, to be the ones that continue to proclaim it and embody it in the way that he had with a power that his death and resurrection made possible. And that's the same story that we've been invited into. So we get started this morning. Would you pray with me? Lord, I pray that you would fill us with your love uh, in a way that just overflows to the world around us. I pray that you um, would speak to us this morning, that we'd be open to what you might have to say to us. Uh, we gather here in and for your name. Amen. Well, we're three weeks into a four-week series on God's redemptive mission in the world and what that means for us as individuals and for us as a collective church. And we've been building a foundation around a few ideas that are important to bring with us as we continue. The first is that we participate in God's mission in the world as an outward representation of an internal change, that mission flows from transformation, that there's an interconnectedness, that engaging, uh, to engaging that mission in the world and giving ourselves to God's work in our lives, this thing that we call spiritual formation, that our inner spiritual life and our outward spiritual action are tied together and that they fuel each other, that mission flows from transformation. And the second thing is that for us to know what to do, for us to know what this even looks like, to understand God's work in the world, we have to start with Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3.18 tells us that God's Spirit is at work in us, forming, shaping, molding us into God's image. And Colossians 1 tells us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And so if we want to know what God would do wrapped in skin and bone, we don't need to look any further than Jesus. And we talked about that Jesus is a king with a mission. And his mission is to proclaim and embody. Those are two important words, proclaim and embody the kingdom of heaven, his kingdom on earth. And he's got, he's a different kind of king. He's got a different kind of kingdom. It's an upside down kingdom, a kingdom where those who humble themselves are the ones who are exalted, where the way to be great 
is to serve, where you don't have to have a title or perform in order to be seen, where good news is proclaimed to the poor, where sight is restored to the blind, where the oppressed are set free, where sins are forgiven and not held against you, where reconciliation and redemption and love and justice and restoration are the guiding principles. Jesus is a king with a mission to proclaim and embody this kind of kingdom in the world. And as we connect to Jesus, we are invited to do the same. So what does that mean for us? It's a transition point, moving from one way of being in the world to a different one. And Jesus' disciples certainly encounter it in Acts chapter 1. Let's take a closer look at that passage that I mentioned briefly at the beginning of our time together. Jesus lays out a grid for his disciples as to what this looks like that's still a helpful lens for us as we talk about how to actually live this out. And I'm super grateful for that because I'm the kind of person who likes to follow recipes exactly. And when I say exactly, I mean exactly. If the recipe says let the chicken rest for 15 minutes when it comes out of the oven, then when the chicken, I see some head nods. Yeah, when the chicken comes out of the oven, the timer gets set for 15 minutes and woe to the person who wants to cut the chicken before it's time. I'm trying to actually learn to temper that with the hunger level of those around me. Uh, Our girls are three and five, and they've given me some pretty spicy feedback about having to look at food that they're not able to eat with their hungry. Uh, But I'm glad that Jesus gives us a grid. And what I hope that we can do today is introduce that grid and then maybe talk about some barriers, talk about some areas of resistance from a couple different angles, and then hear from some surprise special guests as to how they're trying to live this out in the world. Let's take a look together at Acts chapter 1. Acts is part two of a two-volume set, the sequel to the Gospel of Luke, and you hear that thread starting in verse 1. In my former book, the Gospel of Luke, Theophilus, you whom I am writing to, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until one day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself, surprise, to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And then Jesus says something really interesting. Take a look as we continue on in verse 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Wait. Don't leave Jerusalem. Something that is crucial to what you are going to do is coming. So wait for it. And in just a couple verses, Jesus is going to commission his disciples to be the continuation of his work in the world. But first he says, wait for the Holy Spirit. And he's clarifying a really important point. That participating in God's mission in the world is empowered by the Holy Spirit. That it's God's work, that it's not ours. And what's happening in Acts chapter 1 mirrors what happens in Mark 
chapter 1. The disciples are entering this new season of public ministry, this moment of transition, actually in the same way that Jesus did. Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 9. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And at once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. And it's that same Spirit that's going to come to the disciples. God's indwelling presence with them to lead, to shape, to guide, to form them into people who live and love like Jesus did and lead them into the same work that Jesus was doing. And the disciples were super jazzed about it. And the same spirit that Jesus had been talking about is going to come to them. And they make a leap to a wrong but a fairly logical conclusion in verse 6. They gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And I so resonate with that question, even though they're asking it for the wrong reason. See, there's still this part of them that thinks this is about kicking their Roman occupying rulers out. But that question really gets at the weight, and it gets at the wanting to see God do something. And Jesus is really gracious in his response. He redirects them back to what's happening. Acts 1, starting in verse 7, he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates uh, the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power, not when the Romans leave, but when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, this moment isn't going to go like you thought that it would. This isn't about Israel regaining what it had lost. This power that's coming to you isn't to free you from Rome, but to be my witnesses, to tell people about what you've seen and experienced in your time with me, and to embody with them the good news of my different kind of upside-down kingdom. And Jesus gives his disciples this really intentional, expanding, geographical sense of what that looks like. Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. If you don't know where to start, then start where you are. And I've been thinking about this word, barriers, the last week or two. What are the barriers to us participating in God's mission in the world? And then also, what are the barriers facing those who might want to come to Jesus' table? I even thought about taking one of the uh, pieces of white temporary fencing from outside and putting it in front of the communion table as an object lesson. Uh, but I couldn't think of a non-cheesy way to remove it without being like, but by the power of Jesus. <laughs> uh, see, um, my conviction is that most of us don't need to be intellectually convinced that participating in God's mission in the world is a good idea or something that we're supposed to do. 
I do think a lot of us wrestle with where or how to add another thing to an already full schedule. But I think that there's an invitation for us this morning in the fact that Jesus starts this list with Jerusalem. See, what if instead of trying to figure out how to add something, we just approached what we're already doing with the same kind of purpose and intentionality that Jesus did? To see each moment of our days, whether exciting or mundane, as spaces to proclaim and embody the reality that Jesus is king. And he's got a different kind of kingdom than the world wants to operate in so often. What if we saw each interaction, each email, each text, each time we stepped onto the soccer field or waited in line at Trader Joe's with a sense of sacredness? As it can be so easy to compartmentalize between our church world and the rest of our lives, what if those lines started to get really blurry? What would that look like? I asked Marcia Singer and Cindy Petty if they'd be willing to share uh, how they've been sitting with those questions, and they've graciously said yes. So would you help me welcome them up front this morning? Hi, Marcia. Hi. Hi, Cindy. Y'all can have this microphone. Uh, Marcia and Cindy have been a part of a workshop, an eight or nine week workshop called Life in the Kingdom moving through some of these themes more in depth, and I'm grateful that y'all are willing to step into this space with us. Marsha, can we start with you? Sure. Is that okay? Uh, I just would love for you to tell us, uh, to share with us, as you've been sitting with, what does it look like to actually live and participate in God's kingdom in the world around you? What's come up for you? Um, are there tensions that have surfaced? Are there questions or reprioritizing that you've had to do? How have you felt? God working in your life through sitting with those questions. What resonated with me when we were attending the classes and doing the reading material was that I am aware that I like to have my week to myself to figure out what I want to do with it and that I need to refresh that in order to make more time available for some other people. Um, yeah, keep going. <laughs> yeah, what does that look like? Okay. Um, a couple of years ago, before my daughter Emily had her two little ones, she was doing some volunteering with a program called Peninsula Food Runners, and she introduced me to that, and I started to participate in that program a little bit. When I went through the um, Upside Down Kingdom book and the class this summer, it just pushed me to say, I need to be doing more of this. I need to be taking those afternoons when I could sit and read or watch another Downton Abbey episode <laughs> and push myself to get out of the house. I like to stay in the house. I think that's fun. And go do some more of that same program that was introduced to me. It's a great program. It's um, easy to do. You sign up. You get online um, at chowmatch.com. And they have created an app that matches organizations like 23andMe or Orange Hummus Restaurant who have surplus food to the homeless shelters that need food to give to the people that don't have it. So 
it's been a big push for me to just get out there, do it more often, do it weekly, do it regularly, instead of just sitting in my yeah. quiet little spot, yeah. feeling yeah. safe. Yeah, thanks, Marcia. You said something uh, that was simple, but it's actually really profound, that there's these moments where you'd feel the desire to like have time to yourself to refresh, and you felt kind of God leading you, pushing you into actually being out uh, and setting that aside. Can you tell us kind of what's, what's, what's happened in that space? Are you, you feeling depleted or, what, or like what's going no, on? No, it, it's nice how it energizes me. I don't look forward to it, and that's, I think, why I kind of put it on the back burner for so long, um, because I don't want to run around and try and map myself around San Jose, as far as I don't know, perhaps. <laughs> but when I come home, I'm feeling like I did this hmm. wonderful thing for some people that are really needy. I'm not necessarily interacting with a lot of people when I'm doing it, but I just come home feeling this was a really good way hmm. to use an hour or two. Hmm. And so it, it's fulfilling in a way I wouldn't have thought it might be. Hmm. Awesome. Thanks, Marcia. So if we're looking for a way to serve behind the scenes, maybe there's an app for that. That's what, that's what, I'm, that's what I'm hearing. <laughs> Uh, Cindy, same question for you as you sat with this class, you did the workshop, you did these readings, spent time in prayer and reflection, what's kind of like surfacing for you? Right. One, one thing that um, occurred to me during the, the course was that uh, there were opportunities to um, kind of relearn stories about Jesus and about what he was trying to teach his disciples. And one of the stories that um, really resonated with me was the story of his friends um, that he loved and was trying to teach them how to also love one another, um, he asked them to stay with him, to uh, watch and pray with him, and they fell asleep, of course. Um, but that really impacted me in, in the sense that we have opportunities, and I have opportunities, to come beside somebody uh, who is in perhaps the sorrow or the deepest anguish mm. of their lives. Perhaps they're dying or terminally ill or mm. in a convalescent hospital or in a jail cell. Mm. Um, and, and these are all kind of tangible ways for me to serve them and perhaps kind of stay awake mm. and show up for those people who might be um, needing some just somebody As you've sat with feeling like God's leading you in that direction, what does that start to look like? Or what are the kind of like practical implications on your time? Well, you know, I, I spend a lot of time in a nursing home um, with my mother. Hmm. And so I've kind of just realized that I really need um, the power of the Spirit of God to, uh, to go there nearly every day. And that I can not just focus on So there are a variety of ways that I've found to be able to bring uh, the love of Christ 
friendship, uh, even into the darkest places. Mm. Thank you, Cindy. Thank you, Marcia. Thanks for taking the risk to step up here and share with us how y'all are sitting with these questions. Can we thank Cindy and Marcia? Thank you. See, and starting with Jerusalem and probably Judea too, Jesus is telling his disciples to live where you are, within your usual spheres with purpose and intentionality. And then he says Samaria, which is like a total left turn. Samaria and Israel had been hostile towards each other for a really long time. And Jewish people increased their travel time two to three X when they traveled to Jerusalem to walk around Samaria rather than walk through it. And the Samaritans were the easy archetype of the villain. And Jesus loved to mess with that archetype. And he does it here again. So he is calling his disciples to put into practice what he said when he said his kingdom was a place where people loved their enemies. He is calling them to proclaim and embody his kingdom in Samaria with the Samaritans. <laughs> because guess what? They're invited too. And if the disciples thought Samaria was a stretch, Jesus ends the list with the ends of the earth. Jesus is saying, live where you are with purpose and intentionality. And Jesus is saying, go other places. Make the choice to step outside of your normal rhythm, to put yourself in places and with people you normally wouldn't, with purpose and intentionality, to proclaim and embody that my kingdom is coming. And neither of those things are comfortable at first, by the way. We can just own that. But there's this beautiful and mysterious thing that happens when we set aside our own comfort for the sake of others. God meets us in that space with what we need. It's the upside-down kingdom. We find life as we willingly lay ours down for the sake of this good news. And being witnesses in Samaria and to the ends of the earth means stepping out of the world that we know and into someone else's. And I think sometimes, um, I think sometimes we hesitate there because uh, we don't want to do it wrong. And people get publicly blasted all the time. Uh, and look, probably a lot of it is for good reason. Uh, but it's created this sense of we've got to keep our heads down because we don't want it to happen to us. We don't want to be associated with the way uh, missions tried to be lived out poorly or insensitively in the past. And there's such a beautiful appreciation uh, and a real correction towards sensitivity for cultural nuance uh, and awareness now. Uh, but it can be intimidating. It can be intimidating to try to engage, especially when that means stepping out of a world that we know and into one that we don't. And I think a lot of us live in this tension of uh, we want to love, we want to be Jesus' witnesses everywhere uh, that, we, uh, that we go, uh, but we want to love perfectly, and we're afraid to love clumsily. And I think there's so many opportunities that we miss to be witnesses to Jesus' kingdom because we're afraid that we'll do them wrong. 
And so we sit and wait for someone else to step into that moment. And I want to just complicate that a bit for us this morning. See, I think inaction speaks more loudly than being clumsy. I think folks have more grace for that than we might think. If we're engaging the world in a way that models Jesus' compassion and doing so with humility, then I think the sincerity there can go a long way into covering up any unintentional misstep. And look, if we do, we just own it, and we learn, and we do it differently next time. But we cannot let fear keep us silent or inactive when the Spirit is leading us to be witnesses, to proclaim and embody Jesus's kingdom. And we'll talk more about what it means to proclaim and embody that kingdom next week. But I want to leave us with some encouragement today. And when Jesus was sending out his disciples on a missionary journey practice run, essentially, he gave them a set of instructions and said this to them as part of it. Matthew 10, verse 18. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. You're going to be led into moments where being clumsy will come with a high price. Look at verse 19. But when they arrest you, not if, when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say for it. It will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. See, it's the Holy Spirit that empowers mission. It's God's work in the world, and we have been invited to show up and participate in it, but it's God's work in the world. And that same spirit that descended on Jesus at the start of his public ministry is the same spirit the disciples waited for in Jerusalem, and it's the same spirit that dwells in us, forming us into people who live and love like Jesus did, and leading us into God's continuing work in the world. And for all the barriers that face us, and for all the barriers that face those who would come to Jesus' table, God is making a way. He's at work in the world, and he's at work in us. Would you pray with me this morning? God, we thank you for the gifts of your word. We thank you that we're not the first people to encounter the complexity of what it looks like to proclaim and embody your kingdom in the world around us. God, I pray that it would not be a sense of obligation or a sense of duty or even a sense of guilt that motivates us, but God, we pray in this moment uh, that your spirit would give us the gift of your love for the world around us, that it would be. It was love that motivated you to come to make the first move. It is love that motivates us to step into moments in the world around us, whether that's across the street or across the globe. God, I pray that you would help us be a church who loves well, 
that doesn't let fear stand in the way of that. We thank you for the work that you do in us. We thank you for the work that you've invited us in your graciousness to participate in. We do this in and for your name. Amen.